Research in Practice and Research in Practice for Adults podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice for children, adults and families. Thank you for joining us at this Research in Practice, Research in Practice for Adults podcast. I'm Kate, Learning and Development Officer, and today I'm joined by Jane and Deborah, and we're going to be having a conversation around criminal exploitation and the effects on children, young people, adults, families and communities. This is the first of two podcasts. I'd like to introduce Jane Horan, Complex Safeguarding Lead for Greater Manchester, and Deborah Hurst, Detective Sergeant and Programme Challenger in Modern Slavery Team. Yep, so I work for uh, pro- I work within the Programme Challenger Team, um, which is Greater Manchester's response to organised crime, uh, which covers the whole of Greater Manchester, and it's a multi-agency response. So within the Challenger, the Central Challenger Team, we have a number of different agencies who work together, um, and that began in 2013 um, as a legacy to the tragic uh, murders of two Greater Manchester police officers. Um, so the team began in 2013 and working very closely with other agencies such as immigration and local authorities what we began to understand is that criminal um, offences and criminal types were changing um, so we'd always looked to the traditional types of crime uh, robberies, firearms, drugs, that kind of thing but actually you know, we started to understand that the changing in communities and the changing in criminality meant that we had to focus on um, vulnerabilities So we started to focus on things like trafficking and exploitation um, and look at how we can support and identify victims because a lot of this crime is very, very hidden and wasn't understood. So uh, I'm Jane Horan and I'm the Greater Manchester Complex Safeguarding Lead. Um, I've been in this post probably for uh, just over a year now and prior to this role I was actually the Safeguarding Lead in Programme Challenger working with Debbie um, and colleagues in the Modern Slavery Unit as well. Um, from a complex safeguarding perspective, uh, we uh, started doing work in this area in 2014 to 16, where we developed the Achieving Change Together programme, which was a pilot from DfE funding uh, to develop a new approach, really, to working with adolescents who'd been um, identified at risk of child exploitation. That was specific to child sexual exploitation. Um, and the outcome of that piece of work was to develop uh, a new way of working with young people that was an intense model of support but actually the lessons learned were that actually it was a model that could be applied to working with young people who were um, at risk of any form of exploitation and that started our pathway into understanding complex safeguarding um, and we wanted to have a, a system approach really into how we respond to young people, predominantly adolescents who are at risk of all forms of exploitation and we started with a focus on sexual exploitation, criminal exploitation and modern slavery and trafficking with the recognition that we need to take some learning to how we respond to some of those issues and then we can start to broaden that out to look at other forms of exploitation. So for a complex safeguarding approach, we are developing uh, teams in each area across Greater Manchester, so in the 10 local authority areas, and building on the skills of the challenger team, which currently have local challenger teams in each of those 10 areas. We want to bring together those skills around uh, disrupting organised crime with our current child sexual exploitation Phoenix teams, because we recognise having that Uh, the skills and experience of those two teams together will enable us to be able to respond much more effectively uh, to young people and to vulnerable adults who are victims of criminal exploitation and other forms. Brilliant, thank you very much and welcome. Um, I was just wondering if perhaps we could start off 
by exploring and expanding on terms criminal exploitation, county lines and cuckooing. So uh, I will say in Greater Manchester, uh, we actually launched our Trapped campaign in October 2017. Um, and we were very clear that we see county lines as a form of criminal exploitation. So when we talk about um, county lines, criminal exploitation within Greater Manchester, we tend to refer to it as Trapped because that's our branding around it. But actually, we, we talk more in terms around criminal exploitation. And as I say, county lines is just seen as one approach of that. Um, we've seen young people being exploited in numerous ways um, to carry um, to carry firearms, store money, um, commit assaults, arson, uh, burglary, um, and we were very clear that we wanted to have a more broader definition so we could actually look at supporting young people across all of those areas, not just focusing on the drugs element. We recognise that is a significant issue. We are seen as one of the uh, biggest exporters in the UK around county lines, but we also recognise that the drug lines don't just have to go outside of uh, Manchester or Greater Manchester. We have 10 boroughs that are joined up very well from transport networks, and some of the feedback from young people has been that actually you could go from one side of Greater Manchester to the other in a day to be um, to be selling drugs. Um, so it isn't just the traditional county lines model that we look at here. We see it across all the different forms. Cuckooing is is when an organised crime group might um, take over the home address of usually a vulnerable adult um, and then that address will then be used for criminal purposes and so that really is what the cuckooing term means. You mentioned the kind of terms county lines and how they can be defined differently in different places. Are there any common misconceptions you've come across when um, people using these terms I think uh, just I think from professionals who talk to us and certainly we're experiencing it a lot in Greater Manchester at the moment is there's some confusion around whether a county line means that somebody has to be moved outside of a, of a boundary area um, or is it that somebody could be um, moved across the other part of a town or a city, for instance? Um, and I know the definition has changed and there was um, and a definition that included cookering and then one that wasn't. And I think that's why, from our perspective, in Greater Manchester, we're trying to come up with a position um, that is meaningful for us in Greater Manchester that obviously recognises clearly and follows those national definitions, but something that's quite clear to the issues that are taking place here. Um, as I mentioned before, we talk more so around criminal exploitation because what we um, what we are seeing is more reports of young people being asked to commit other forms of crime and that might just be that we haven't yet uncovered the extent of the county land problem as yet as I say because we are seen to be an exporter um, but we see it very much that if we just stick solely to those singular definitions we actually miss um, supporting a, and identifying a large number of young people uh, and, and actually we don't actually have an effective response then. And like Jane said before, um, the actual distance that people, um, young people are being being moved around is, is, is really unhelpful when you're talking about long distances, uh, uh, you know, urban to suburban, you know, rural, etc. Because certainly within Greater Manchester, we've seen young people actually being moved around the the area and of the places that they've actually grown up in. So it, some of the distances can be really, really short. We're going to be talking streets as opposed to counties. And I think county lines kind of aligns itself to those longer distances, which for us, um, we're seeing much shorter distances too. So 
an example of that, um, we have had a case, um, or we've had numerous cases, but one significant case that stands out within Greater Manchester of a young man who was, uh, he was about 15, 16 at the time, and he was actually um, targeted by a peer um, of his who lived in a similar area, who was only about 14 at the time, um, and he had um, basically um, been on this person's bike and crashed it. And this young man then sold the debt on to his uncle and his dad, um, and they were an organised crime group within that particular area, a very small area of Greater Manchester, where he would literally be moved street to street. So it wasn't being sent outside of um, even his specific region of um, the city, but it was really street to street and he was exploited horrifically. I think it was about 22 hours a day. He was beaten up. He was being forced to sell uh, class A drugs. Um, and he was, when he was discovered, he was, you know, really disheveled, very, um, you know, malnourished. He'd not been sleeping, not been eating, hadn't been able to shower. He'd obviously stopped attending at college. Um, and he was identified um, due to a drugs warrant at his address. Um, and, you know, thankfully, officers identified that and were able to start asking some questions because of how he presented. But actually, if you were to look at that, that looked like a young man who was just selling drugs. And, you know, he wasn't being taken far out of Manchester. He wasn't being taken outside of, um, you know, the kind of our region area. So there's often that debate there. Well, is he a victim of county lines? And if it's not outside of the boundary, is he therefore not a victim and he's just drug dealing? Well, actually, he's a victim of criminal exploitation. And it's about how sometimes those definitions actually um, can um, stop being helpful because we just get so caught up on those specific definitions that actually we don't see the point of how we need to help some young people. He actually was supported really well and supported by police um, and was actually given an opportunity to get out of that situation with his family um, and obviously they carry on their um, investigation around the organised crime group without having to include him in that process and use him as a witness was actually you know the really important thing to do in that case. Um, but I think certainly for me that stood out as quite a significant case because it was probably one of the first times an officer had started to question, I'm doing this drugs warrant, but actually something isn't quite right, um, you know, where they could have locked him up for very significant amounts of Class A drugs. Are there common threads which show us what criminal exploitation can look like and the harm it can cause? I think from a cuckooing perspective, that might present to professionals as antisocial behaviour, so you might get lots of uh, calls. Um, for antisocial behaviour at, at housing, you might see a difference in um, lots of comings and goings to addresses, lots of different vehicles, lots of different people, lots of activity taking place all the time. And certainly for some professionals who might be housing officers, etc., they might be able to actually look at, well, if it's in a block of flats, who's gained access to that flat? Um, and, you know, like, like we were saying before, we were talking about um, criminalisation and definitions as such. I think sometimes with vulnerable adults, again, it's reassuring to think that the police are thinking differently. So particularly in cuckooing cases, you might have vulnerable adults who are, for instance, being forced to cultivate cannabis. Um, and I think traditionally, certainly one or two years ago, the police's response to that would be, you know, if they got that report, it would be a warrant and criminalisation of that vulnerable person. Where I think now, again, it's it's about police officers having in having that awareness of well, actually, what else is going on at that address? Speaking to other professionals, who else has accessed that property? Are the reports of antisocial behaviour and putting that all together and thinking, well, is that person actually a victim 
rather than uh, criminalising them or not necessarily like criminalising them but it may be from a local authority perspective that they get kicked out of the property and they're moved on somewhere else so there are different ways that people are being targeted or, or being discriminated against <laughs> yes. it might not just be crim- criminally it might be um, some of the other um, repercussions I guess of being a victim. I think from uh, and certainly from a child perspective what we're seeing and this is you know there's quite stark differences as well in that um, I think stereotypically we always have it in our head that somebody who's vulnerable is always going to be somebody from a really poor background um, you know it's been somebody who's been open to uh, children's social care uh, unknown services for a number of reasons and, and there are cases of that we know of many cases um, you know where there are young people who are from very poor backgrounds very deprived areas where there's probably been a large prevalence of organised crime within those communities for a long time so some of it and um, uh, some of the behaviours appear to be normalised you see what other people in those areas are doing and that might be a way to earn money because other people in your estate earn money that way um, and school exclusions particularly come up as a significant issue you know there's no structured timetable young people being sent to proves that comes up time and time again as a big concern uh, not only can people be targeted through the proves because it seems to be an area you know where we meet other associates but actually also you know they're out and about there's no structure around them but equivalently we're also seeing young people actually come from you know really wealthy backgrounds where they don't show any of those stereotypical signs of a young person who's open to children's social care and they're being targeted in other ways and they might have other forms of vulnerability it might be because they're being bullied in that school or you know they might be that they develop a relationship with somebody that they think is a positive healthy relationship but actually they've been groomed for other purposes and you know technology enables people all young people to be kind of contacted 24 7 all the time so if you've got access to a numerous um, amount of devices smartphones etc as a young person you know we're seeing young people being contacted on facebook and, and all other different ways to uh, be asked to go and sell drugs and think that you know or oh, if i could put you know you'll make 50 pounds if you put this money in your bank account and you just have to keep it there for 24 hours you know if you're 14 years old are you going to think it's a great idea to get 50 quid you probably are aren't you because you can get some trainers or you can get things um so I think it's quite hard to distinguish in the sense that you're a victim if you're A, B or C because we're not, criminal exploitation really isn't, isn't showing itself in that way. It doesn't seem to just silo off um, and I think that's quite difficult for people when they're trying to say that they would identify somebody because they have a stereotypical view in their head. Um, I think it's also quite challenging because um, there's this whole debate about victim offender. You know, many young people who are committing antisocial behaviour might be stealing a bike. You know, if somebody, are they going to see them as a victim? Or are they seeing them as a young person who's just causing trouble? And do they ask themselves the question that actually, why are they stealing that bike? What else is going on for that young person? And I think that's a whole cultural shift across communities, cultures, you know, across organisations that has to take place. Um, to get us back to a space where we see a young person is still a child and maybe get us to start asking the question why when we see these things um, I think it's quite hard to identify and we certainly are seeing it as quite a difficult hidden crime or a hidden area um, within Greater Manchester some of the youth offending services have done some fantastic work where um, they've done some mapping exercises within their youth offending services to identify uh, young people looking through peer groups associations places where they they um, kind of hang out with each other um, and looking at different networks through schools that they attend and things like that and that's enabled us to um, really start to unpick some of the young people who are probably at risk of criminal exploitation and be able to put some support into place um, 
But I think, you know, there are real challenges with that because what we don't want to do is say you're only a victim if you show these signs because actually we're seeing this fairy across such a range of young people and adults as well um, that actually we need people just to start opening their eyes and asking the questions where they see something that's not quite right. Just ask why. Thank you for listening. In part two, we'll be looking at some of Greater Manchester's key considerations when responding to the criminal exploitation of children and adults such as strong multi-agency working, caring for professionals doing difficult work and community engagement. You've been listening to the Research in Practice and Research in Practice for Adults podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and share your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at ResearchIP or at RIPFA. Thanks for listening.